Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. This is going to be episode number 201. This is actually part two uh, with Dwayne Adams, a guide of 38 years here in Arizona. And he's kind of the first guy to start glassing with a tripod. And he's got a lot of experience. Uh, In episode 200, we were talking about early season, the you know, October coos deer seasons that are starting here this Friday. Uh, in this episode 201, we're going to be talking to Dwayne about uh, the early hunts on the Kaibab Plateau in units 12A West, 12A East, uh, and 12B. And uh, there's just a lot of great information here. I hope you guys are enjoying it. Uh, I want to remind you guys a few things. Uh, remember to subscribe to the podcast. Uh, whether you're listening on iTunes or Podbean or Stitcher or however you're getting the podcast, uh, make sure to subscribe because every time I come up with a new episode, it automatically will be uh, where you can grab it off your feed. And also want to remind you that uh, if you don't subscribe, then uh, y- you don't get those automatic feeds when I release an episode. So uh, iTunes, if you're if you're an iPhone, uh, if you're an Apple guy or gal, uh, iTunes is the best way to listen. And if you're an Android, uh, listening on uh, Podbean is the best way. Also, want to um, ask you guys and thank you guys for tagging your success photos uh, and testimonials. Uh, during elk season, I got a bunch of different great testimonials, but uh, love all the J. Scott Outdoors, uh, hashtag J. Scott Outdoors uh, tags on Instagram or the hashtag J. Scott Outdoors podcast. I, I, I look at every one of them and I just appreciate the support. I wanted to go over, if you guys are following me on my Instagram account, uh, and if you're not, it's at J. Scott Outdoors. Oh, I got all kinds of uh, great uh, feedback and testimonials from listeners. And I just wanted to read a few to you guys. Uh, this one is uh, from Ty Duke. Um, Jay, the pick I sent you last week of the bull I had on camera, we thought went 305 to 310. Well, here he is. My best bull so far, green scores 344. Thank you for all the awesome information you give on your podcast to us for free of charge. Best of luck, Ty. Um, congrats, Ty. Uh, thanks for being a supporter of my podcast. Yeah, I'm an idiot. Sometimes those trail cameras, uh, I underjudge stuff. I think that's a good uh, reminder to everyone out there. It seems like stuff on trail camera, uh, we can get them to shrink down and they don't look as big. And I told uh, Ty it'd be a 305 to 310. He kills it. It's 344. Another great testimonial here from uh, Greg Hunts AZ. So that's at Greg underscore Hunts underscore AZ. Sent me this photo. Thanks for the podcast. Awesome info. Got my first bull. Dive, died five yards off the road. Made for an easy pack out. Um, congrats, Greg. Uh, thanks for supporting my podcast. Nice bull. Another one from Jeremy Allen. Hi there. Love the podcast. Been listening since day one. Here's a pick of my bull from western New Mexico. Combination of glassing him up from a bluff we were sitting on. Soft cow calls and sneaking in while he was raking a tree uh, and smoked him at 60 yards with a gravedigger broadhead. Thanks for the great work on the podcast. 
uh, Jeremy, thanks for uh, the, the picture. Thanks for the testimonial and uh, tagging me on Instagram. Those are just a couple guys. There's, I don't know, 15 or 20 here um, from a lot of the loyal listeners. And with all these deer hunts uh, going across all over the West, uh, elk hunts, sheep hunts, uh, you guys, if you're fans, uh, tag uh, hashtag J Scott Outdoors and, and hashtag J Scott Outdoors podcast. And I love them all. And I've gotten a lot of uh, Instagram messages, Facebook messages, and emails. Send me your photos. Uh, I'd love to showcase them on my uh, podcast. And I appreciate every one of you uh, for your support. Uh, reminder, uh, if you would, uh, if you're an iTunes listener, if you would find a way, go on iTunes and give a honest, uh, positive review uh, on my podcast. That helps our placement there. And I just appreciate that if you guys could do that for me. Uh, feel free. I love getting feedback from you guys. Send me messages, uh, text, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, uh, you can go on my website, uh, jscottoutdoors.com, and you can link out to all my social media. Also, uh, love getting the email. Send me an email at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. I try and respond uh, right away, uh, very rarely, unless I'm out on a hunt. Uh, if you don't get a response that day, I'm probably out on a hunt or scouting. Uh, I've got quite a few things going on. I'm, I've uh, got a juniors uh, October, not juniors, uh, Dar's uh, youngest son's got a, uh, he is a junior. He's got an October coos deer tag. I'm going to go for a few days with him. Uh, we're still scouting for the auction, uh, Arizona auction, uh, desert bighorn tag. This past weekend, uh, I was up in unit 15D. Uh, I've got a general season hunter there. Uh, actually going to do it with a bow. And uh, he's from Texas. Great guy. He actually met me. We went and did some scouting. Uh, looks like we've got about a 50% die-off uh, from pneumonia in that unit. Uh, I knew the first afternoon from glassing that uh, we were probably uh, going to be a little bit in trouble. And it turns out that's kind of the common theme of the helicopter survey. So uh, let's just hope that uh, the sheep can stabilize and uh, we keep those losses at 50% there in that unit 15D. And uh, we, we're still going to have a great hunt. We're going to do the best we can. And, uh, you know, it's a great opportunity for him, him to get a desert bighorn with his bow. And uh, lots of great stuff. Uh, already starting to eyeball those uh, coos deer, late coos deer hunts coming up in uh, December and January uh, down in Mexico. And um, it's just an exciting time of year. I've got a, a great friend that's got a 13B strip tag. And so I'm going to get to go up and enjoy some uh, strip tag uh, 13B action uh, again this year. And hopefully uh, he can get a big old buck like uh, Parker um, did last year. So guys, uh, let's get right to this episode with, uh, Dwayne Adams. I want to thank him for coming on and, uh, you know, 38, 40 years of hunting, 38 years of guiding in the state of Arizona. Um, just a great wealth of knowledge and, uh, hope you guys enjoy this podcast. Uh, I want to thank all of you guys for listening and your support. Okay, Dwayne, I want to transition into talking about uh, also this Friday is the late season, or excuse me, the early season Kayabab hunt, I believe in 12A West and East. Is that correct? That's, that's correct. And 12B as well. 
12B as well. Um, can you give the listener, well, first, how long have you been hunting the Kaibab Plateau? And would you give a little bit of history on the Kaibab Plateau and the deer that inhabit that area? I've been guiding the Kaibab for 38 years, and I've been hunting it uh, for 40 years. And uh, it it cycles, unlike coos deer, immensely. Uh, there are a lot, there are less deer today than there was before, and I think that's just the way it is with mule deer. They're they're not as as aggressive of breeders as the coos deer are, and they cycle big time. And there's less deer today than there was when I started. So you've seen cycles where the deer go way up and way down, and you say we're pretty far down now. I would say that we're. I would say we're down. I wouldn't say it was down as as far as I've seen it before because in the 70s it was worse. Uh, in the late 70s it, it got it really got bad. Uh, but the fire that they've had on the Kaibab up there in the last four or five six years have made a big difference in food, and I really think that that's the problem. Is that they they stopped the environmentalists stopped them from chaining and 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 prescribed burns and stuff that was going on up there. And I think the food level has just absolutely fell off. And when it falls off, those deer can't make it because that's a true migrating herd. They literally migrate almost 40 miles off down to the winter range and then turn around and they migrate back up. So if that food level is all the way down, changes, then those deer struggle. How much do you think predation plays into it? Well, I think it plays into it immensely. I think that's a, a unbelievable. There's lions up there by the hundreds because of the the Grand Canyon National Park. That's just a sanctuary for lions. So those lion hunters, they I've listened to them talk all my life, and you know when they come out of that park, I mean those lions are from there all the way over to the strip across there. All those national monuments. I mean, there's no way to hunt those lions in there. So, I mean, it's it's just a breeding zone. How do you see the early hunts in the Kayabab as far as strategy? Um, they give a lot of tags. What is a strategy for someone that, that, that's going up there this weekend, in your mind? You know, what should they be focusing on? Well, I'll tell you how we're killing the big deer. We're not killing those big deer until Tuesday or Wednesday. And how that is, Jay, is what we have found is that the hunter's will push those deer off the top of the mountain. And then they push them to what we call push zones. And every year, those places that hold big deer that we've hunted for 30 years, will those deer will start filtering into those holes. I can't kill them on top of that mountain. And I'm, I'm just being as honest as I can be because the trees are too thick and what little burns there is up there, there's a hunter every hundred yards, so I stay away from that stuff, and I wait for them to shove the deer down, and they'll start coming down. And when they start coming down, then serious hunting starts. I assume that it's very glass. I mean, I've been to the Kayabab a few times. I assume it's very glassing-oriented as well. It is for me because I can't drive around those ponderosa pines. I don't know how to hunt them because you can't glass in that stuff and a deer takes one bounce and it's over so i mean that's that's just a road hunting dream and a glassing nightmare for sure um 
what do you find those deer in this early season? What are they feeding on? Well, they start feeding on the forbs. That's the way God designed it. And they feed all all top that mesa on those little grass and little forbs right down low to the ground. But once it freezes, that changes the game. Once it freezes hard, that stuff dies. And for whatever reason, they don't like the taste of it anymore. And they start to drop down. They drop to the oaks. That's the next level that God designed is the oak level. And that's the acorns and all the buds off of that. And then once they leave that, they go right on down to the sage and the cliff rows. Because if they get, you know, two foot of snow, that food is right at the top of the sage and the cliff rows. So they can just nibble all along all that. They don't got to get, they don't got to put their head down in the snow. You mentioned on the coos deer that you've been around 495 uh, total coos deer harvested and 45 BNC. I was curious if you also have a, a rough number of how many mule deer you've been associated with. I've killed 80 mule deer over 200 inches. Wow. 80 what? mule deer over 200 inches. Yeah. Wow. I've guided. Wow. I, I, I've guided. I've not killed myself, but I've guided. Right. 80 bucks over 200 inches. Wow. How many of those would you say are on the Kayabab? All of them. Oh, wow. So over the year, well, let's, let me back up. Can you explain to people about the east side and the west side and maybe what the differences are between the two units, talking about 12A east, 12A west? Yeah, the east side is very difficult. It's very tough. It's, it's clifty, and it drops off thousands and thousands of feet when those deer fall off there. And the west side's like a loaf of bread. That's the best way I can put it. It just kind of gradually slopes down all the way down to the winter range, and on the east side, it drops off just miles. There's only two roads down to the east side that, that get you in the bottom, and that's it. And both of them are not very good roads at all. And when the snow gets bad, they're brutal roads. They're, they can be very scary. So there's a quarter of the deer on the east side that there is. On the west side, there's 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 a 75% more deer on the west side. And I think it's because of the food is why I think it is, because of that food structure doesn't get real good. Any of the transition dropping down, it's all through cliffs and and through uh, uh, manzanita, and, and so I think those deer are really stressed. By the time they get to the bottom, I've, I've watched them. There's no water except down to the bottom of the buffalo ranch, and they, those deer pile into that buffalo ranch all along there, that loop road and, and those drinkers, and, I mean, it's unbelievable. Water's gold down there on that hunt. <coughs> so, in other words, um, you're talking more of the migration, so on the later hunts, on these early hunts, it's very challenging because they're up in the trees in both units. They're they're up in the pines, and until they get kicked down off the top, it's it's a challenge. And it's anybody. I mean, someone could drive that right down the road and shoot a 200 incher right off the side of the road, right? Or that's, yes, I yeah, mean, you hit it, it, you you hit it right on the head, yeah. And that's that's what I try to tell clients. I said it's a 10 day hunt, and we're going to utilize all days. We're probably not going to start seeing quality deer till Tuesday on. Then every day after that, we're, we're going to see quality deer. Two years ago, Jay, on Thursday, 
we killed a 226-inch deer, and in this canyon, we've killed three Boone and Crockett bucks in my 30 years in this same canyon, and this same canyon is right off the main road, but it's down 20 miles. And we checked it on on the, the, the evening of the first hunt on the early season. There wasn't a doe there. On Monday, one of the guys went in there, and he said, there's deer everywhere. They're, they're all in there. So we kept checking, and we just check it and check it, and then on Thursday, there, there that buck was. He had 22 scorable points. Wow. Um, so they're very pressure-related. As soon as they really get hammered, they start moving. Yeah, they're nothing like, they're nothing like a coos deer. You better believe it. When the pressure starts up there and they start pushing all that pressure, then those deer start to move. And then you've got the pressure that's pushing them, and you also have the, the food sources that changing. So both those things uh, play in for those deer starting to move. How do you see the big fire? I believe they had a big fire up there. Do you, do you think overall it had a positive effect or a negative effect on the deer? I think it was and, a, bless, and, a blessing. And how did it affect the hunting, better or worse? I think it was a blessing, and in and, in and, and the, the deer had a lot of food, and it's a negative because those guys can see them now, so they can shoot the heck out of them. So that's why I'm telling you, when the shooting starts up there and those burns, those deer leave. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's interesting. Um, and the hunt, this early hunt that started, if you were not going to this year, it looks like it's going to be bluebird and warm as can be, but... Uh, how does bluebird and warm make the hunt compared to we've had some, you know, early and freak kind of snows. How would you see it being a different type of hunt in that situation? Well, then you have the weather that's going to push the deer and it's not going to be the hunter's going to push it. And nature always has a bigger effect than somebody does pushing them because that's nature. They're going to start to move and they st they'll move on down way before, uh, any hunters get there, like you're talking about some of the freak snows we've had up there in the past. But now I'm just waiting, and this this year was a prime example. Those deer won't be there till Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and a lot of hunters will panic by then because they won't think that they're going to kill a deer. But to kill a cal the caliber deer we're wanting to chase, those deer will not be huntable until till middle of the week. Gotcha. Very interesting stuff there. Um, let me think about Let's take a quick break here. Guys, the title sponsor of my podcast is GoHunt.com Insider, and they're doing a 30-day free trial exclusive for the J. Scott Outdoors podcast listeners. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash J. Scott and click on the blue free trial button and go through the steps. It only takes a couple of minutes. You will be required to provide a credit card, but you will not be charged until after the free 30 days. You can cancel at any time within the first 30 days to prevent being charged. If you have any questions at all, you can email freetrial at gohunt.com and someone from the GoHunt team will promptly respond. This is your opportunity to see what all the buzz is about and the filtering 2.0 system and the application strategies for the Western Hunter. Real Game Calls featuring the Elk Reel.
Real Game Calls makes innovative, realistic, and easy-to-master calls using their proprietary, revolutionary design. They are located and manufactured in Gypsum, Colorado. Their calls were designed and battle-tested on some of the hardest-hunted terrain on Earth. Check out ElkReel.com. Use the promo code JSCOTT and receive a 20% discount on all purchases. Go to www.elkreel.com. If you had to choose the west side or the east side, I assume you would like to say you like the west side better because there's more deer. Is um, is that correct? I like the west side a lot better, and, and there's a several reasons why. Most of the deer that migrate out of the park it's easier for them to migrate uh, out of the park uh, on down to the west side. On the east side, they got to funnel through Saddle Mountain, and it's 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 a gigantic, clifty mess for those deer to come down there. So there's more deer to funnel down the west side, uh, and it's just easier. I mean, there's distinct trails there, Jay, that have been there since time. I mean, you can see them. They're beat into the, the sandstone and stuff way down low, Coming off there, I, I, I mean, I've watched hundreds of deer start pouring off when they start migrating. I was going to ask you about that. Um, year in and year out, when do you see the migration, you know, the, the not the hunter migration, but like the, the weather, they're, they're moving. When does that usually happen? Well, it doesn't happen a lot of times during the season. It, that's kind of a fallacy. It mostly happens at the end of the hunt, and that's why I've been able to to see it. And it's usually weather related. You, you get a big snow on Wednesday or Thursday, and I say 18 to two foot of snow up there, and then the, you get down there and you can see those deer literally funnel and just start coming down. You're, and you're talking at that point about the late hunt, correct? Yes, I am talking about the late hunt. And let's talk a little bit about the late hunt uh, there on the Kaibab. Um, typically on, on the normal dates that we have, do you see quite a bit of rutting or is it kind of pre-rut activity? No, on the late hunt, it's the rut. It's, it's, it's nature takes its course and, uh, and, and those bucks are chasing and they're chasing hard and, and uh, it's pretty simple on the early hunt. It's, it's not, those bucks are still all grouped up together. And, and so if you're fortunate enough to see one of those big bucks, uh, you have a chance to kill him uh, b- before he drops down. Is one of the challenges on the late hunt uh, when they're rutting, trying to find a deer and get on him and get him shot because he's moving around so much? That's a darn truth. I mean, I tell clients all the time, I said, look, we're not going to find this deer again because he's going to be moving. So, and, you know, I try to score him the best I can and tell him what the deer is because if the next day he might be 10 miles below us. Gotcha. Um, how does, this is kind of a side question, 12B, you mentioned 12B. Do you hunt it also? Sure. We guide it all the time as well. And, and that's the same thing we're talking about that on the early season, that is a brutal, brutal hunt. And, and I tell people that all the time, you know, we'll guide you out there, but you've got to realize that there may not be any deer, and it's not my fault because they're not here yet. But if right. they do come, then we have places to go look. And so, you know, if you be honest with people and tell them things like that, then 
and for the most part, they they understand you're trying to be honest. But if you tell them there's going to be a 200-inch deer, deer out there and you drive around out there glassing for four or five days and don't even see nothing, well, then you're an idiot. So you yeah. got to be honest with people. In in all of those units, the 12A East, 12A West, and 12B, in those low areas where, you know, the, the winter range areas, are there still some of those bucks that will never leave there and they stay out there? Or do you feel that that's kind of a fallacy? I think it's a fallacy. So it's very rarely does a buck stay down there. Like literally you're saying you could go like right now out there in the low country and may not see a single deer for a week. I think that's, that's happened more to me than not for every deer that, that, guys say that a great big buck is staying down there i ask them why why would it stay why would it stay in august and june or july down there where there may not be any water when they know that they're back on top of that mountain up there that there's springs and green grass why would it stay yeah and that's why that's a migrating herd now i'm not saying that there's not some deer I've just never seen any of them. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, how many of those 12 bead deer are Utah deer coming right out of Utah? I, I guess the question is, how many migratory deer come off the Kaibab Plateau and head into 12B, and how many of them are from Utah? Is it 50-50, or what is it? I don't know, Jay. I don't know that answer, but I do know one thing, that they kill 200 deer with cars between Kanab and Page before they put those those deer deer fences in and had to funnel the deer under the road. And last year, there were hundreds and hundreds of deer stages on the side. You could see them there trying to come underneath the road. And so uh, it could be 50-50. It, it may be 60-40. I don't, know how to, I don't know how you calibrate that. But, but a lot of deer from Utah come in there. Is that also kind of towards the end of the hunt also, like that after Thanksgiving around the 1st of December time, time frame, or is it a lot of times later than that? Yeah, it is. It's it's exactly during the late season uh, is when they'll be there. They'll, they'll come in the late season and start moving down. So the beauty of what I'm hearing, the beauty of those late hunts is you never – it's it's kind of like Forrest Gump. Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. You just go down there and all of a sudden deer just start showing up and every day there's different deer. Yes, that's a fact. Every day there's different deer. And and uh, one of the things I try to tell tell guys is that it, they'll say, there's like 25 does over there, Dwayne. I said, there is. And they said, yeah, then you go check them every every evening, every morning. Go look over there and see if there's a big buck there. Because before the season's over, there will be. I, I heard you say in the coos deer thing where you kind of focus on an area for a big buck and you kind of hit it from different angles. What I'm hearing you say, kind of mule deer hunting, and a little bit more than this early hunt, a little more transitioning in the late hunt, is you might be a lot more uh, mobile and bouncing around, checking different doe groups. Is that correct? Oh, that, that's a key. That's a real key. I, I don't hunt mule deer, nothing like coos deer. Just and that's a real that's a lot of trouble for a lot of guys that are great coos deer hunters. They go up there, they struggle because it's, the tactics are way different, Jay. 
and chase a big mule deer. You've got to be mobile and you've got to be able to drive miles because those deer are moving from, from pressure or from, from the weather or whatever, and you better know the next zone those deer are going to. If you don't, and I see it every year, guys that come into clamp say, you know, Dwayne, there's deer tracks all over up there, and there's, you know, we can't find those deer. They've left, and they've moved to the next zone. And you better know that zone they're going to. Every year, does the timing of that zone, it, does it differ a little bit depending every year. on weather? Every year. It, every year it's different. Last year, Jay, we hunted farther out on the points than we have in the last 10 years. And we have a place that we hunt out there, and and I usually have somebody in camp. I say, go check this. You go check that. You go over here. You know how that is. And one of them came back, and he said, it looks like Africa out there. I said, are you serious? He said, there are hundreds of deer out there. I said, you've got to be kidding me. He said, I'm telling you, Dwayne, there's bucks everywhere. We drove out there and killed two bucks over 200 inches that day. And I hadn't hunted there in 10 years. They weren't there, Jay, but they were there this year, last year. Wow. Wow. That's that's pretty neat. Um, what effect, now I want to specifically talk about the early October season that's about to kick off. What effect, you know, the, the moon was full, I believe, two days ago or yesterday on the 16th. Um, what effect does that moon play in activity on those mule deer on this early hunt? A lot. And, I, and, I, and I'll tell you what, what it does. Those deer generally go to bed way early or they're already in bed by the time the sun comes up. But it's just the opposite in the evening. They usually get up earlier to feed. And so we've learned that if, there, if there's a full moon and all, of the, all the arrows are pointing in that direction, then we're generally just glassing the northwest side of pockets, and we stay in the northwest side all day. We don't even get out of it. So the the moon is is a huge. If what if it's a dark moon? What what would you say? Well, I don't know that. You know, I mean, all I know is that when it's bright and you can see in camp without a light, it's not looking too good for big bucks. <laughs> Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm being honest. It's tough. You know, I mean, yeah. some guys think that you know you're Dwayne Adams. You can wave a wave, wave a magic wand and kill one, but you know, you got to have common sense. You know, it's it's also, you know, the the way things happen. And so, if you don't have those deer moving down and they're in those pines, you got problems. You got to wait till they come down so they're huntable. Yeah, for sure. No, that makes sense. Um, that makes sense. That's good stuff. Uh, wow. A lot of great information here. So you're leaving in a few days to be up on the Kayabab? Yes, I'm leaving tomorrow. Okay, great. And, um, you set up, uh, you typically have a big camp up there, don't you? Yes, I have a big camp, a cook, and, and we, you know, I have, uh, guides like you that, you know, real quality individuals and, and we have a lot of fun. And so we we just chase big deer and and the the key is why we go a couple of days early is we try to see where those deer are and in, and where they're at and then we know the next move where they're going to be next and that's really why I go early trying to figure out which zone you were talking about earlier where exactly they're at that's exactly right and and once you figure that out a lot of people Jay they'll hunt the whole hunt right up on top of the highway 
all 10 days up there and and they don't realize those deer the big deer have gone they're they've they started moving out when the pressure starts I have known the owners of the Outdoorsman's in Phoenix for over 20 years. They are the authority on optics and hunting gear. Outdoorsman's is the leading designer and manufacturer of high-quality tripods, mounting accessories, and pack systems for all hunters. Their customer service is the best in the business. Go to Outdoorsman's.com or call 1-800-291-8065 and use the J. Scott promo code to receive 10% off any products. I have known the owners of the Outdoorsman's in Phoenix for over 20 years. They are the authority on optics and hunting gear. Outdoorsman's is the leading designer and manufacturer of high-quality tripods, mounting accessories, and pack systems for all hunters. Their customer service is the best in the business. Go to Outdoorsman's.com or call 1-800-291-8065 and use the J. Scott promo code to receive 10% off any products. What have you seen as far as, you know, 38 years up there on the Kayabab, what have you seen as far as size of bucks? I'm not talking numbers of deer. I mean, is right now the heyday or were there, there were, you know, sections of years that was just unbelievable? You know, you hear people say, oh, the, the, the heyday is gone. What's your thought on that? Well, I think that the, the heyday is gone compared to what it was, but... I think all you got to do is look and see that the caliber of bucks that they're killing with the governor tags every year. So it's really not gone. It's just the numbers are gone. There's still world-class bucks up there. Jay, I don't know if you know this or your listeners, there's been four bucks killed in the Kaibab since the records have started all over 300 inches. And Ryan Hatch and I have talked about this from Muley Crazy on many occasions. Four bucks, the biggest being 344 inches, and that buck's in Williams at, at, at a little sporting goods store there, and I've seen it. 344-inch mule deer. Wow. Uh, about seven or eight years ago, Jay, a gentleman killed a deer on the early season, like we're talking here, that scored 319 uh, uh inches and and ryan had a big article in his magazine about it but listen there's god knows what could grow up on that mountain yeah yeah for sure um would you like to see him lower the tags a little bit if if you had in a perfect world would you like to see less tags or what's your thought i actually would like to see him where they would uh, Todd Buck, the game warden up there, and, and is a good friend of mine and does a good job, but has his hands tied. You know, is it is all the states do? You know how that is. He would really like to chain down areas and do things that, to just to, to to have some of that food come back. I think that's probably more important because back in the '60s, all those chain downs they did all that stuff in the '60s, and now they they won't let them do it. So now you just have you know, miles and miles and miles of, of, of trees and no food. So in other words, explain to the listeners that they don't know what a chaining is, uh, Dwayne. Tell me, tell, tell us well, what, what that they, is. What they did back in the 60s, they took two, two caterpillars and took anchor chains and drove and pulled trees over so that the sunlight could, go, could come in and the, the vegetation could grow because there's zero stuff to eat. In, in juniper trees for deer, they don't, they don't eat them. They 
They, they hide. In it. other words, the juniper chokes out the the grass and the forbs and things that deer eat. That's correct. That's what I'm trying to say. And they haven't been doing chainings in a long time in that area. That's correct. They haven't done them since the '60s. So wow. we've been living off of the '60s to now. So if you went back in there and did all that stuff like they did back then, then it would you wouldn't have to do it. But every other year, someplace go and chain this down and go chain that down and 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 start chaining these different places down and let it grow back up. Then you'd have it's no different than a garden. And, and that's the best way I put it. Uh, if you left your garden grow and, and and never picked anything, and you had the stuff growing all the way to the top of the house, well, the the stuff at the bottom is not ever going to is not going to have any food value. So right. that's why people that's why they kill it every year and they do all that kind of stuff. That's exactly the the, the forest is not too much far off of a garden. Yeah, for sure. That I mean that makes. That makes sense. Trim it back is what you're saying. Sure. That's why God, you know, I always tell people if, if God didn't, would have wanted Smokey the Bear out there, he'd have had one. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> but, I mean, it's the truth. If, if the Lord would have wanted Smokey the Bear, he'd have had one in every mountain range. There's no Smokey the Bear. What they had was lightning <laughs> striking and let it go through burning all the underbrush and, and clean it all out. And then the, then all the forbs grew back. And, you know, every eight, ten years, a small fire went through. But what's happened, we've got environmentalists on our mind, and we're scared to death to cut anything down. So we have fires like the Ch- Chetoskai fire. We have fire like the, the, the up at Big Lake to burn a half a million acres and, and burn seven or eight communities down because we're scared to death to do anything now. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a great point you make there for sure. I mean, it feels like their hands are tied and and uh, they you know they can't do what they need to do or or they're so overregulated that it, it just causes issues. That's correct. Man, well, it's been awesome talking to you. I know we could talk about all kinds of stuff, and we'll have to do some more on some other podcasts. Uh, I wish you uh, the best of success here, and I believe you have hunters for this early season coos deer hunt and for the Kayabab, uh both. Is that correct? That's correct, Different- Jay, and, uh, uh, and, and and I've got hunters for both. I, I do want to say one thing. I hope this comes out before the election, and go Donald Trump. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. You know, I think it's important on several, you know, I think what's going on is really interesting. And, you know, obviously there's things that Donald Trump's done that, that I don't agree with and you probably don't agree with. But I think we have, as as gun owners, I mean, to me, it's a no-brainer um, from that issue alone. And then you take, you know, if you want to get into a lot of the other social issues and a lot of the other issues um, but from a gun ownership standpoint alone, uh, I think Hillary Clinton uh, would be nothing but coming after our guns like she's already said she wants to, like she's done for 30 years as a senator. And, um, you know, if you simplified it, and for me, I'm a pretty simple guy, um, from that issue alone and from the Supreme Court justices, you know, the appointments you know, there's probably going to be two or three justices appointed in this in this next four-year term. Um, that's big. Well, I, I think that if you own a gun, 
There's no way that you could vote Democrat with somebody sitting on a, up on a, a podium saying, I'm going to take your guns. And she has said it on numerous occasions, not once, and it wouldn't slip with the tongue, I'm coming after the NRA. Well, the NRA is nobody. It, I'm the NRA, me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a member. I'm a, I'm a, I I'm am a, too. I'm a good member. I'm a good American. I pay taxes. I'm a Christian man. And she's not saying that she's not going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to take background checks. She's going to do things, and it's going to make it difficult for us. So uh, the listeners pay attention. If you've got to vote, I don't like a lot of things Donald Trump says. A lot of things he says is stupid. But he's saying that the NRA has endorsed him, and that's good enough for me. Well, I'm glad you brought that up, and I'm glad I had you on. It was great uh, being able to pick uh, a brain of someone that's done this for 40 years, and I wish you the best of success on your upcoming hunts and all your hunters that you have and all these different hunts. And uh, uh, just I want to give you a chance to tell the listeners how they can get a hold of you, where they can, you know, whether website or phone number or what, however you email, however you want people to be able to get a hold of you. My phone number is uh, 520-385-4995. That's my home phone number. And my website is ArizonaBigGameHunting.com. And uh, my email is Coon at the River. That's C-O-O-N, the at sign, the river dot com and i'd love to take anybody hunting and and one thing i've learned uh to to your audience is there are only a handful of good good outfitters out there jay's one i'm one there's only a handful of them and guys like us get booked up and the ones that aren't booked up haven't done their homework and they don't put their heart in it well it's obvious you put your heart in it and i've been a fan of yours for a long time and i've read articles and uh, I've heard you speak in seminars and uh, uh, when you speak I listen and it's been great to have you on here and I just uh, wish you safety and and, a great hunt and God bless you and uh, love to have you on again and uh, go up there and have a great hunt and knock them dead and and, uh, I'll be happy to see you whenever it seems I see random times and I'm always happy to see you so um, thanks for coming on and sharing your wisdom with us. Those are very nice words. And God bless you, too, as well, Jay. All right, buddy. You take care. You too, Jay.